0: down and filthy but the discipline is on point school myself made my own dojo a cold flow with the whole dose of soul maintain composure even in theory an anomaly property. this week on the pete the planner show final episode of repeat yeah we try new things during the summer this is the final episode of repeat and here's what we're doing before we switch back to the format in which we're talking to you about your financial problems I'm having on my favorite financial podcaster. This is my gift to you, introducing a person you probably already know, Joe Saul He is the, the host of Stacking Benjamins. He, the long overdue visit to our show. Welcome to
1: the show, Joe. You are making me blush, Pete. Stop it. No, keep going, really.
0: Now, I've been on your show several times, and uh, and until today, I haven't returned the favor, (laughs) which is like one of those things, like if you invited my wife and I over to your house, if we ran out of excuses of why we couldn't go and we finally made it over there, and then it would be our turn to invite you guys to our house, this is where we find ourselves.
1: This is the kind of friendship we have,
0: Pete. Yeah, well, you know what? You and a lot of other people have this friendship <laughs> with me. Uh, so Joe, I love your show, Stacking Benjamins. Give us a little bit of background. Like your show uh, is to ours. It's it's lighthearted. It, you, people learn a lot of stuff. This is what I hope our show is, by the way. Um, and how long have you been doing it? Seven years, can you believe that?
1: Wow. What was your background uh, for that? Were you a financial advisor part of that? I was, I was a financial planner for 16 years and I sold my practice when I was 40. Uh, I worked with Ameriprise Financial and American Express. And during that time, I also did some media spokesperson stuff. I wasn't one of their official PR people. I was that guy in the field that knows a little bit about money. So they'd always have me do the CNBC or the Wall Street Journal or the, you know, the local radio show that type of stuff.
0: Yeah. You know what? That's not too different than my path. I mean, it's terribly sure. I'm a lot younger, but, (laughs) and way better looking. I don't know. We were, we were like pulling up some of your stuff earlier today and I shaved my head recently. Uh, We don't look that different now.
1: (laughs) <laughs> I'm about there. Yeah, I am so about there. We have a, we have a new sponsor, which is a hair growth sponsor on our show. Really? And uh, yeah. And I was, I was telling our, our ad person, I said, really? And she said, no, they want the comedy. Cause really, you know, stacking Benjamins, the joke among our listeners is if you learn anything, keep it to yourself. Yeah. Because when I, when we started the show, I was listening to car talk, Pete, and I realized that nobody was doing car talk for finance. You know, I, I love this show for the people that don't know what it is, these, guys click and clack these brothers sadly one of them just passed away but they still keep airing the episodes because they were so phenomenal you get engrossed in car culture but you never really learn anything about a car Yeah, yeah and all of a sudden i realized that was the show i wanted to have a show where we just have fun and we we talk about money topics and introduce people to great people like you but you know i'm not really that interested in learning something i just want to be enveloped in it
0: No, uh, I'm with you. I love that show. And that's why I I like your show, too. You and I are going to tackle a topic today, though, uh, that I love. Sort of complicated and convoluted financial... products and concepts that that uh, I'll go as far as to say people love to put absolutes on these sorts of products like because they're so convoluted you can maybe get away with saying these are great and they guarantee you things or you can go the other direction Joe and you can say these are bad because they're too complicated let's you and I decide that today where shall we begin? Oh, how about with probably
1: our mutual favorite, annuities. You yeah. want to talk about annuities?
0: I do, because I have really, I have, uh, I would almost say financial, financial counterculture thoughts about annuities, because I know how uh, our industry feels about them, and I know how I feel about them. How do you feel about them?
1: I think, and let's do the positive first, and, and this may be close to what you're thinking, Pete, based on what you just said. I think that annuities are changing quickly. I think this area of the market is ripe for disruption. So, for people that don't know what an annuity is, it was meant initially as a lifetime income vehicle, like a, a pension that you could make for yourself, where you put money into it and then you could do this thing called annuitize it, where you turned it into payments for the rest of your life. And then the annuity industry kind of went off the rails and started to doing all kinds of crazy things with them. But there's some companies now, Pete, as you know, that are doing some exciting things with annuities. And this idea of us living a long, long time, annuities can be an exciting thing. But sadly, there's still a lot of them that really, really stink. You can say suck.
0: Um, suck. So <laughs> So here's how I feel about them. Uh, First of all, annuities are issued by insurance companies. So if you purchase an annuity, Joe, as we know, you're actually purchasing insurance in some way. uh, And you're passing the risk, ideally, Onto the insurance company, and from, for that I, I, that I like, that I understand, and I think there's some investors where their investment advisors are like, no, we can, we can deal with this, but ultimately the risk falls back in the lap of the investor. But with certain annuities, you're able to buy the right to transfer that risk. D- is there anything wrong with, with that?
1: I don't think so at all. I think if we strip it down to that, annuities can be pretty awesome. I, really, You know Ben Stein, the yeah. guy that was, uh, he's the economist of Win Ben Stein's Money and sure. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the teacher? Of course, he's great. Yeah, Ben Stein said very famously that annuities saved his parents' retirement because they're not savvy at all and because they put money into some very basic annuities and they were never going to understand it, no matter how smart their son was, annuities helped them retire. So, but it's basic, the basic premise of what you just said is absolutely wonderful.
0: But they do go off the rails. Let's, let's break down what sucks about annuities and what the annuity industry is trying to fix or has fixed. I mean, I think the one thing that stands out, no, short of fees, which we'll get there in a second, uh, which is a big problem, uh, I think the idea of annuitization, uh, that could really suck, Joe. I mean, annuitization isn't great because depending on how you annuitize it, if you die too soon, the insurance company keeps the money.
1: I, I prefer not to die too soon. That's my strategy. Right.
0: If, yeah, if, so if that, I can do it that way. That's a that, huge issue, though. I mean, dying too soon, but like uh, when when you plan poorly and the insurance company keeps the money, that's bad.
1: Yeah, but you have to realize that these are these insurance companies, a lot like casinos, they might lose some of the time, but because they're dealing with the law of large numbers, they're going to win more often than they lose. And they set these up not not to be your buddy, they set them up to make money. So when you're choosing your options, you got to be really careful because that's an irrevocable decision. When you X the box that you're going to have a lifetime income just for you and not a lifetime income that's based on you and a spouse or something else, uh, you can't take it back six months later.
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny because a lot of times that's called life only. in um, the whole thing with this, have you ever talked to an actuary? I mean, have you ever talked to an actuary who comes up with these things with insurance companies, Joe?
1: I have. We actually had a guy from uh, Haven Life on our show. And believe it or not, Pete, he was actually kind of funny, which I think- I don't you believe see, you. I know, right? You get a few know. actuaries in a room. Imagine that party, like their holiday party has got yeah. to be like, what kind of jokes do actuaries tell at the holiday party?
0: Well, I do know this. I know one actuary and he drinks a lot, but I get it because he's him. I'd have to, too. Um, but so, so that's the one thing, one thing uh, that needs fixed. And in. Insurance companies have done some interesting things to give consumers better options when it comes to uh, withdrawals. So what are they doing?
1: Uh, well, oh man, lots of lots of things. Number one, you don't have to necessarily annuitize your annuity to take it. In other words, you can just take pieces out in chunks whenever you want it. They also have some. There are some guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefits, which mean that if you stay within certain parameters, you can make sure your money lasts forever. So almost like you have. A tree and the apples just keep coming every season Uh, and you don't have to uproot it which is you know unfortunately what some people do so those are a couple of the exciting things but there's you know you probably know five more
0: no no that that's that's the essence of it and i i think if we're going back to the basics of annuities and and really distilling them down so far so good like everything we've talked about especially with this these new withdrawal provisions these guaranteed minimum withdrawals these sorts of things really, really good and fixable problems. But Joe, we run into some bigger issues and they begin with uh, variable instruments and they end with fees. Why are annuities so
1: darn expensive? Oh, I'm going to go a different way. Okay, good. The, the number one reason I don't like annuities uh, beyond the fact that they're expensive and beyond the fact that they uh, that they have all these crazy uh, bells and whistles that they really don't need is that, the, you know, the number one product sold inside of an IRA is annuities. And I've never understood that because annuities on its own. When you put money into an annuity, that's a tax deferred vehicle. And an IRA is a vehicle to defer taxes, and when you buy an annuity inside an IRA, when your quote advisor tells you to buy an annuity inside an IRA, you're putting a tax-deferred vehicle inside a tax-deferred vehicle, and you're probably paying fees for both of those privileges, and, uh, and I don't get it.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, because that can be expensive. I wanna play devil's advocate, though, for the sake of fun. Uh, if the person is primarily interested in transferring their risk, to an insurance company, even though it's within an IRA, why would that be wrong?
1: If they're interested in that minimum withdrawal, you know, guarantee, if they really want those guarantees, no matter how expensive they are, it isn't wrong. But when so many get sold that way, Pete, you and I both know that's not what's going on a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. You're you're exactly right. And I guess we haven't even noted this. Annuities can be very popular instruments for financial uh, experts because they pay the highest of anything else out there. I mean, if if I put someone in an ETF or a mutual fund portfolio uh, or I put someone in an annuity, I'm getting paid, what, 10 times what I would on the other side if I put them into an annuity.
1: It's incredible. I wish you had like a bell sound effect we could ring. Cause that's the one right there. That's why annuities are so popular among financial professionals. I believe, uh, I think that's the number one reason is the commission rate can't be beat. So a lot of financial people can talk themselves into, listen, it's got this bell that helps you. It's got, has this other guarantee. And I think you really need those things. Okay, maybe, maybe not. Um, a lot of the time, if you, if you know how to invest money and stay diversified and use proper asset allocation. A lot of the time you don't need those bells and whistles and all you're doing is helping somebody make a car payment or or six or seven car payments.
0: Yeah, and I, I think too before we move on from annuities, I, I think it's also interesting to talk about fixed annuities versus index annuities versus variable annuities. Most of the radio shows you hear today seem like they are fronts to get people in the door to sell them index annuities. Where, where part of the country are you in? And I
1: always forget, where are you at, Joe? I'm on the border of Texas and Arkansas, right? When you think about money places, Pete, you think about Texarkana, Texas, and that's right where I am, right? I've got my my, uh, foot on the heartbeat of what's going on on Wall Street here.
0: Are the radio shows down there driven by uh, index annuity salespeople? Yes. Right. Yeah. So yeah. but in index annuity, again if we go back to the basic premise of transferring risk and, and getting guaranteed income uh, okay but they're a little more complicated than that because they always offer upside possibilities with downside protection why does that fall why and how does that fall apart Joe
1: But it falls apart because the amount that they guarantee is so low that if you look at the history of the stock market, you would have done much, much, much better just with the diversified portfolio and going ahead and saying, I'll take that risk. I mean, generally speaking, I think the number I just saw is that your average indexed annuity ends up returning somewhere in the 4% range. Yeah. Um, and that's on the high side for a lot of these annuities. 4% is not a great number if you're looking 15 or 20 years out, Pete, as you know.
0: Yeah, it, yeah. So let's dig into some numbers. For, honestly, Joe, this sounds like a setup. I have uh, historical returns of uh, the S&P 500, the, the Barclays aggregate US bond index and then a 60-40 mix of those two. I have them right in front of me because I happen to have them in front of me. So to your point, let's go through this for a second. Uh, The last 30 years annualized returns in the S&P 500 has a person averaging 10, and this is period ending uh, 12, 31, 17, 10.09%. Okay? Pretty darn good, right? Yeah. But, as you know, it's a little rich for some people's blood. They want to mix, so they're gonna go 60% of that, 40% of a bond index, and over the last 25 years, because that's the number we have, it's 8.1%. And if you, what you just said is an index, uh, an index annuity. If they're averaging 4%, because they cap you, um, that's a problem because 8% seems better than 4% in my math. <laughs>
1: You're a math whiz, Pete. You know the, you, you know, and this is this is my opinion only, not yours. Sure. I think indexed annuities of all annuities are the worst. They're they the wow. ones that I would be most likely to tell the closest to 100% of the people I meet to completely avoid.
0: You know, let's uh, let's go through a period of disclosure here. Uh, I was a financial advisor from uh, 2000 to 2012. Had some internships, 98, 99, which I was licensed. Um, I think at some point in time, I sold all three. At some point in my career, right, uh, I had sold a fix, I had sold an index, and I had sold a, a variable where I felt they were appropriate. Um, I would say, uh, and it's been five years, six years since I've been six years since I've been in that business. I was always more afraid of the variable ones, but I do feel like the index ones have really morphed into some weird stuff. So I'm guessing, Joe, your comments are more current, saying the new, newest iterations of index annuities are what are so scary.
1: Yeah, I don't understand today why you would why you would buy one of those. I, I have yet to see one, and maybe there's one out there that I haven't seen that is appropriate, but usually there's a better option than that indexed annuity today.
0: I, I'm still going, I will wrap this conversation with my thoughts, and you can disagree. I'm still going to go uh, without the rule of absolutes and to say, I think every, almost every financial, almost every financial product ever created has a place somewhere. The real question is how many places does it have? Yeah, would you agree with that or disagree with that?
1: I totally agree with that. I think there's a lot of salespeople out there putting square reg Square yeah. regs? Square What's regs. that? S- square, square regs. That's the SEC. Square regs. Yes, that's right. <laughs> square pegs and round holes. Uh, and, and the reason that we alluded to earlier, didn't even allude to, we just bashed earlier, is commissions. People yeah. putting things in the wrong places. I don't think there's a product type out there that uh, was made with malicious intent. Every single one of the product types out there were created to solve a problem, and then the industry got a hold of them and said, hey, well, maybe we could juice up the sales a little bit if we put this snazzy thing on it. Yeah, not so much.
0: I think the worst thing I've ever seen in terms of an annuity is I saw a person with a variable annuity inside of a RAP account back in the day. So they were paying like three and a half, four percent all in on the annuity and then like a one point seven, five percent management fee. And that advisor should be in a federal penitentiary.
1: That is so, hey, not only am I screwing you on the fees on this annuity, I'm going to throw another fee on top of it. Uh, I love it.
0: What's the next convoluted, complicated product that people find themselves into or they hear about and they're all messy. What what do we got next? I love this, Pete. Let's go to permanent life insurance. Permanent life insurance. So again, uh, it's often grouped with annuity and it's
1: often uh, sold by the exact same people. I, Love permanent life insurance, which and we've got people now. The second I said that, Pete, you know what's happening? There's people screaming at their device that I'm an idiot ah. just because I said I love it. But
0: I don't it mind is, it. I don't mind it. I think it's fine for the right person. That's the way.
1: Absolutely. And once again, the big problem I see it sold far more often to the wrong people. And much like a timeshare, they're sold the wrong way. Like yeah. they, they people don't understand the the product that they have. And because of that, they use it incorrectly, they hate it, uh, or they're just not the right target.
0: Yeah, so again, disclose. I've sold permanent life insurance to people that I felt it was appropriate for at some point in their life. It was by no means a majority or even a, a big part of my business. Uh, I don't have a problem with permanent life insurance. My big issue, Joe, is that people often don't have the right face amount of life insurance because they spend all their premium on permanent life insurance instead of actually protecting their family.
1: Yeah, the permanent life insurance is so expensive. And, you know, people say that permanent life insurance is a ripoff, Pete, and that drives me crazy because it's not a ripoff. It's designed to last your whole life. And right. think about that. If an insurance company knows there's a 100 percent probability that they're going to have to pay a claim later, they're going to have to, over your lifetime, recoup that money. A term life insurance policy usually gets so expensive by the time you're in your 60s that you can't afford it anymore. So the the claims rate on term life insurance is very, very small when compared to permanent policies. So term insurance then is going to be cheap per thousand, where a whole life policy or a universal, variable universal, some permanent policy is going to be a much costlier, cost per thousand. The, the issue, though, isn't that they're ripping you off. It's that you're getting what you pay for. The, the, yeah. This this policy will pay someday, so you're going to pay a lot more for it.
0: And not only that, I, there's, a, there's a couple elements here. Uh, these are the things that are, are both good and bad. And the same thing are both good and bad about uh, permanent life insurance. It is, in a way, forced savings, right? Yep. Yeah. And and for some people, based on their uh, discipline, their flexibility and how often they change jobs and everything else, family planning uh, for savings, isn't necessarily a good thing because people can find themselves in a jam, unable to keep up with the premiums. And then you've sunk all this money into something that you can't continue. And and that that uh, lapses more
1: policies than anything. It's so frustrating to see people getting to the time of their life when they need the policy. This is, you know, and the cost of a permanent life insurance policy uh, becomes more expensive per thousand dollars that you have as you get older, meaning that, that, you know, when you're in your 20s, that cost is low. When you're in your 70s or 80s, the cost is very, very high. And so that's why people front load policies, they put a bunch of money in cash, really the when life insurances were first created that pre-funding was not meant as for savings as much as it was prepaying yeah, ahead sure. of time for this expensive stuff you're going to buy later and because people think that less is better people don't understand the concept of you want to put a lot of money into these policies a lot uh, so that they're they run very economically later on I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about Pete let's say that you have a policy that's a hundred thousand dollars If you sock a bunch of money into that over your lifetime and you've got $75,000 of cash inside it, the way that most of these policies work is the only amount of life insurance you're buying is the difference between the cash, $75,000, and the death benefit, which is $100,000. So you're only paying for $25,000 of life insurance. And that's why... And, and this is also why it's so hard uh, uh, for people to understand this concept if you put more money into the policy the policy is actually cheaper yeah. because of the fact that you're actually buying less life insurance you're in effect you're self insuring Pete is really what you're doing
0: and, and the internal rate of return of some of these products I mean Northwestern Mutual is one of those companies that always touts their you know historic returns within these sometimes you six, seven, eight 7 percent on a fixed basis, you really can't find a a fixed rate outside of life insurance products like that. I feel like that's why they can be so good.
1: Well, and that's also why I think for the right person, uh, a permanent life insurance policy is a great tax vehicle. If you can put money into a policy, and once again, we're going to have people screaming at their devices, but but so hear me out. If you're already max funding your 401k plan, you've maxed out your, your let's say you're eligible for a Roth IRA, and you still have excess income that you're not going to need until far in the future socking into it into a life insurance policy I think is actually assuming you can continue to do that could be way 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 better is that a technical term way 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 better yeah, absolutely uh, then an annuity because an annuity becomes a tax trap the first money you take out is all taxable it's it's uh, uh, a lIFO last in first out so the interest it earns gets taxed so people never end up Touching it with a life insurance policy, if you do it the right way, you can take money out and not have all that tax problem, uh, and it can run very efficiently if you, because you're socking it with full of cash, so the life insurance cost stays really low. I just got super technical, and I, I apologize for that. But this is why I wanted to talk about this today because I think that these are so misunderstood.
0: I, I, so you've been on the internet, right, Joe? Never. Well, the, for those the, that, what, yeah. that thing's a fad, Pete. Well, it, it may be, but uh, if you've never had exposure, here's what happens. Sometimes if you're a content creator, you know, someone like you or you or me, you get people, I won't call them trolls because I don't believe they're trolls, but they want to scream angry things at you because they disagree with you and they don't necessarily have the platform that you have. So they're going to take a really aggressive uh, track in disagreeing with you. you. Do you have any exposure to that? <laughs> never, never. Okay, well, I, I, I do, but I know Go, you do.
1: My, yeah, yeah. Take a look at our iTunes reviews. And while we don't have many one-star reviews, the ones that we have are fantastic. My favorite one uh, is "boo" with like about 14 O's. Like we get the uh, we get the haters that are really articulate. I,
0: at one point in time, this is totally off topic. My, uh, she was six years old at the time. My six-year-old daughter had a podcast with me, uh, and it and it was it was. Hoping by her and it actually got it climbed to like number one in kids and family uh, for like 13 weeks but anyway someone left a review and it said not a, not what I was looking for and it gave it a one star and it's like a six-year-old kid. What the hell are you looking for? I'm like, what do, you, what do you want out of her? Like, And so it was actually because of that review we ended the show. Because I was like, well, this is not what the person's looking for. So anyway, here's where I'm going with my comments. Uh, I had to mute a guy on Twitter because he always screamed at me when I encouraged people to participate in their employer-sponsored retirement plan. And he asserted that he believed people should only hit the match with their employer and then buy permanent life insurance because 401ks are terrible uh. and this person. Oh. Um, I decided not to block them, because I, 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 but I muted him. So when I tweet uh, a promotion for this show with you, he is going to tweet me that we're idiots. <laughs> but I won't know, because I've muted him. Joe, what are your thoughts on hitting the match and then going full permanent life insurance with your additional retirement uh, uh, income, or whatever, uh, money you want to put towards retirement?
1: Not a great idea. Right? <laughs> Not a great idea at all. No, uh, anytime somebody tells me that I shouldn't use my workplace retirement plan, uh, I, I think things about you that are not kind. And
0: then he always tweets the article, it was probably in the journal, people love to quote the Wall Street Journal, about how the creator of the 401k says he wish he never would have done it. Which, which we've all read that article, but it's not in the same context that someone trying to sell me more permanent life insurance. Right, that was not the that was not the issue at hand.
1: Well, and I've seen some other schemes involving permanent life insurance, which scare me. There's a cash flow scheme uh, where you live off of the proceeds of your life insurance, or excuse me, the cash inside of your life insurance policy. And it's basically based on the fact that it earns that higher rate of return that that you're talking about earlier, Pete. Yeah. Uh, The issue issue that I have with schemes like that is it, it, it isn't about today, it's you need to be able to sustain putting money in those policies. Right. And even if you have great cash flow today, you and I have been around enough people as clients that you see th- things go off the rails at unexpected times. And I could never tell somebody, "Hey, forget about having a savings account down at the bank. Stuff all your money into this whole life policy and live off that and just, you know, forever you'll be able to continually flow money through this thing." I forever is a long, long time. And, and, and schemes like that drive me crazy. See,
0: that's why I would say those products are are pretty decent for someone who's a partner at a law firm that's already maxing out stuff or someone that has that level of income and stability. Yeah. Those would, by the way, I also like the idea that in the United States, the word financial scheme has negative connotation, but overseas retirement scheme has very positive connotations right <laughs> so it's like our, our uh uk listeners are like oh i'd like to try one of those i don't know oh, what Can i think. get into that scheme yeah.
1: a posse scheme sounds awesome to a brit then
0: yeah they're like oh and it, it, it sounds like gelato i'll have some <laughs> right. uh next are we done with the permanent life chair i feel like we've covered i think yeah. we can go with the also they're actually so- not bad for the right person
1: yeah next product what do you think Let's let's talk about non-traded real estate, non-traded REITs. REITs. I think non-traded REITs are an area that is uh, misunderstood, missold, Um, I think people selling them, people peddling them uh, sometimes aren't great at explaining how they really work. And because of that, they're once again sold to the wrong people. Wrong people end up with them, can't get out of them, uh, end up losing a bunch of money because they try to find a way out early, well before they should, and um, probably should have chosen a different option.
0: I love words, and the word you used was pedal. And again, you rarely hear someone settle, say, hey, he's peddling ETFs. <laughs> Instead, you hear someone say, he's peddling, peddling uh, you know, non-tradable REITs, right? It's sort of, a, there's, there's power in those words.
1: Yeah, if you couple the word pedal with the product, uh, it might not be for you. So
0: uh, a REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, right? Yes. And, and help us understand,
1: what in the hell is that? Love this idea, by the way, as a as a category. So for people like me that aren't interested in becoming landlords, but really, when you look at the North American real estate index, you'll see that over long periods of time, the returns are very similar to the stock market. So when you look at at uh, at real estate and specifically rental real estate or uh, commercial real estate, something that has a tenant inside of it, which pays off income, that coupled with the small appreciation on the property, you end up with something that reliably historically has beaten inflation. Stocks and real estate are the two things in my mind that have fairly consistently beaten inflation's pants over long periods of time. So I I go to them quite often, but I don't want to be a landlord. I am a landlord right now because I own a house in Detroit and I I couldn't sell it back when I moved to Texas so because of the, because I don't want to be a landlord a reIT is perfect I give my money to a management team that management team has a bunch of properties you can look at the prospectus you can look at all the information about the reIT and it will tell you if they own strip malls if they own nursing homes if they own uh, ski lodges they might own uh, theme parks uh, different reITs own different different things the cool thing about a reIT is that this reIT Real estate pays out dividends that are fairly high, and usually when it comes to a bond, I worry about high income streams. Yeah, but this is this is the nature of this type of product. I don't worry when I see a REIT that pays a fairly hefty dividend because that's what it's designed to do. Um, so it's it's diversified real estate. You can look and see how it's diversified uh, before you invest, and and generally it has great property management uh, attached.